Uh, good morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. Um, <clears throat> no reason why we can't get started. If you're here today for the first time, welcome. Um, we are currently in a series um, on prayer, um, and it's called P is for Prayer, and it just so happens that we're talking about petition, and it's three weeks in looking at this particular topic of petition, and <clears throat> we're in Genesis 18, so if you just want to turn there with me, that would be really helpful, because we'll be going back to the text periodically. And kind of similar to a few months back when we did a mini-series in the Psalms, when I kind of currently doing the same but on prayer. And how many of you know prayer is, is a great privilege, um, but it's also a great priority. And um, but how many of you know it's a privilege and it's a priority and we know that, but how many of you know prayer sometimes can be hard? And um, we're looking at different elements in the scriptures that hopefully encourage us, especially with regards to, to this topic of prayer, especially when the pressures of life, and I'm saying, are pressing in. And that might be relationships, it might be work, it might be the government, it might be church. I mean, if you know, there's often confusion, sometimes questions, disappointments, and distractions to deal with, even as man, man's coming through the door. <laughs> distractions. What's going on for you? Joke, right? <laughs> uh, just talking about the things that sometimes just prevent us from being able to pray, you know what I mean? And, and if, you're, if you're human, you know what I'm saying, if you've got kids, you know what I'm saying, if you've got flood issues like three days ago there was water streaming down from the ceiling in this building we thought oh, there ain't even gonna be no get together this sunday and i mean and these things happen and you know i'm saying they can cause us great challenges and then the last thing you want to do because you're trying to run around and you're trying to sort this out you try the last thing you end up doing is praying and so in the midst of all of this really you know confronted with these challenges our hearts cry should be Lord, how do we pray? Because we know that that's going to be a part of the solution to whatever problems that we're going to be faced with. It's not always a guaranteed um, rectifier, at least in the way that we'd like to see things rectified. But I'm saying, how I many of you know, until you've prayed, you can't really expect, apart from God's grace working divinely, you know what I'm saying, for any intervention or for any transformation of those circumstances. Now, I'm always encouraged by the disciples when it comes to the topic of prayer, you know what I'm saying? Um, because, you know, they come and they ask the question, didn't they, of Jesus about prayer. What did they ask? This, exact, exactly. And that's why it's comforting for me, you know what I mean? Because if they needed help, and they were with Jesus all the time, or at least for three and a half years. Um, I'm comforted by that when I find myself, you know what I'm saying? When the, if the disciples were wrestling, trying to figure out how it works, you know what I'm saying? Then um, I find that comforting as I, as we wrestle with this discipline of prayer. 
It's funny that the disciples don't ask Jesus, teach us how to evangelize the poor. Teach us how to, end up saying, how to preach. No, teach us how to pray. So if you're with me in Genesis 18, I'm going to read the text again. And um, we've been, again, as, as I said, we've been spending quite a bit of time in here. Um, but there's been a few lessons to unpack, and so we've taken a few weeks to do that. So Genesis 18, starting at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and, and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And the Lord said, If I find, if I, if, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare it. I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. So, suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his, his place. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. But Lord, the, the spirit himself personally intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Lord, through your word today, please teach us how to intercede according to the will of God. Amen. Amen. So last week, um, <clears throat> looking at this text, we talked about God's mercy and judgment those two things, and the fact that they were revealed um, here in this very story. Mercy, as far as Abraham and Lot are concerned, who are two of our main human characters in the text. Mercy for them, but then judgment on Sodom and its surrounding cities. And we said that when it comes to the, to the rescued or to the righteous, or if you like, to the saved, we said there's a spectrum um, there are those who are at one end of the spectrum and those at the other end of the spectrum. You've got those who, who are more obedient. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to say completely obedient because no one's perfect, right? You know what I'm saying? But you've got those who are more obedient and you've got others at the end of the other end of the spectrum that are less obedient. You've got 
You've got those who, 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 who tend to draw nearer to God and those who, who don't draw as near to God. You've got those who bear much fruit and those that don't bear as much fruit. You've got 100-fold, 60-fold, you've got 30-fold believers, right? And although both believers, Abraham and Lot, they have these different experiences we highlighted Lot's experience kind of last week. This week, we're going to look a little bit more at Abraham. And here in Genesis 18, God comes, as we saw, to visit his friend Abraham. And Abraham, ha Abraham has this privilege um, of God's presence. And then on that basis, the ability to petition, you know what I'm saying, or to pray. Um, we saw in Genesis 18, a part of it was a response that is Abraham's response was a response to God's response. So Genesis 18:20 says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous. I'm saying, so God responds, but then Abraham's going to respond to God's response. And we have Lot living in the midst of, 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 of this madness in Sodom, right? Struggling and wrestling, we said, with his own sin. And then with the sin that surrounded him, right? He's not in a good place, we said, um, literally and metaphorically. And, and yet, um, he's saved. And I'm saying three times in one verse in the New Testament, we hear that the man is saved. It says, God, in verse 7, delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, right? For that what? righteous man, you know, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. I'm saying, and we ask a question in it, where do we find ourselves on the spectrum? Are we up there, like faithful prayer warriors, like on this thing consistently, regularly, you know, fantastically fanatical when it comes to, you know, I'm saying our relationship with God. Always on fire for the Lord. I'm saying, or, I don't know, are you at the, at the, at the other end of the spectrum? I'm saying, not really on fire for the Lord. Not really that um, committed, whether it's to fellowship or the apostles' doctrine or to, and I'm saying, breaking of bread or to prayer, Acts 2.42. You know what I'm saying? I think often, you know, we probably find ourselves in the middle, hopefully, at least, but kind of moving in one direction and maybe sliding back to another. But there's a spectrum, you know what I'm saying? And um, where do you find yourself on the spectrum, especially, you know what I'm saying, when it comes to this topic of prayer? Do you relate to, to God healthily like Abraham, or is your relationship with God a, a bit more like Lot's? Both righteous, but opposite ends of, of the effectiveness spectrum, if you like, or the or, or the, opposite, the opposite ends of relationship with God. Well, let's see if we can gain some helpful insight in it and some inspiration. Hopefully that will lead to transformation um, in our relationship with the Lord personally. You know what I mean, now obviously we're speaking as, you know, to, to, to a big group, but we're also speaking individually and, and, and take this personally as well as corporately. And hopefully I'll try to, tease out the difference between the two in some way. Well, <clears throat> um, we're going to look at five points um, as we look through this text. Um, Abraham's prayers were intercessory. 
Abraham prayed with specificity. Abraham prayed with great empathy. Four, Abraham prayed with an uncomfortable, persistent tenacity. And then number five, Abraham prayed with a bold humility. So first of all, Abraham's prayers were intercessory. How many of you know to be an effective, um, well, I don't want to say to be, to be effective in prayer, you cannot be a passive spectator. All right, I don't know if you agree with that. In verse 23, it says, then Abraham did what? He drew near, and we spent a whole week talking about that, and he said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous from the wicked? So he did something, which is draw near, right? But then also he said something. To be, to be effective in prayer means you cannot be a passive spectator. He did something which is drawn near to God and he said something, that is he pleaded, you know what I'm saying, for mercy. This is Abraham, if you like, standing in the gap, right? Interceding. Some of us, if, if we've been around for a little while in, in, in church, you know what I'm saying, you've heard that term before, interceding, you know. Standing in the gap. And this word interceding, it comes from the, the same... The, 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 the root word that we get this word intercede from is similar to, the, to where we get the word interact from. Same prefix, right? Intercede, interact. And to interact or to interact means to communicate and, and react to the people that you're involved with. To communicate and react to the people that you're involved with, right? It's not passive, right? That is interaction. You know what I'm saying? And not just with the people that surround us, but this is also talking about interacting, obviously, with, with God. And the same root, if you like, is where we get another word with a prefix, which is intersection. Intersection. I think I've got them, actually. I'm going to put them up so that you can see them. Intersection. Intersection is the point at which things connect or intersect, Right? It's the American word for junction, um, the intersection, right? And often you got like, I don't know, like a traffic cop, traffic policeman. And in one sense, this begins to unpack this meaning of intercession. And I'm saying you got this policeman and he's standing in the gap, if you like, between, and I'm saying two thoroughfares. And you've got one set of people on one side and another set of people on another side. And, and he stands there interacting with both, right? At the intersection, interacting, even interceding in a sense. Um, and this explains what's happening with Abraham. As, he's, as, as he finds himself in this intersection, you know what I'm saying, between Sodom and and his, his nephew Lot and, 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 and the Lord God Almighty who's on his way to Sodom to visit. And Abraham finds himself in the middle, as it were. You know what I'm saying? Like a traffic policeman, yes, but no. And I'm saying it's deeper than that. It's someone who's given the privilege to mediate between two parties. So this is taking it a bit further now. But it's even deeper than that. It's someone standing in between two parties, 
pleading with one group, and I'm saying that affects change in the other. Let me do it this side because I feel like God is on the right and people are on the left. So it's someone standing between two parties, pleading with one group that affects change in the other. But it's deeper than that. It's, it's getting in between two parties, pleading with one that's about to inflict injury in order that the other might be spared. Another word from the root word of our word in a session is intervene. So if you like, intercession is the act of intervening on the behalf of another, especially as it relates to Especially as it relates to this, this incredible God who has, to say, a bone to pick with Sodom would be an understatement. But it's this issue of standing in between, standing in the gap. And it's a very, I, I, I've said it a few times, it's a very, very distinguished and privileged position. I mean, you see the policeman there, you know, he's got, he's, he's got an element of, I don't want to say authority because that's not what I'm trying to communicate. But everybody looks at the policeman and he's got a job that he does and there's a respect that's there. There's an ability for him to do what others can't do. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's a vested um, privilege that he has. Not anyone can just jump out their car and do what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? Look, he's got his uniform and he's got his whistle and everything. You know what I'm saying? And... <clears throat> And I'm saying that we have, in a similar sense, not exactly the same, but in a similar sense, we are very privileged and we're in a distinguished position. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 22. It says, the people of the land, and this is the Lord speaking, and literally actually speaking about his people that have gone off piste. You know what I'm saying? They're like off key and they're not where they ought to be. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not so much talking about them. I'm talking about this issue of the person standing in the gap. The people of the land, verse 29, have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. Verse 30, and the Lord speaking. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But sadly, God says, I found no one. I found none. Verse 31, therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. You see, verse 31 would have looked completely different if there was someone standing in the breach, if there was someone standing in the gap. Verse 31, I've poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. Does it sound like he wanted to do that? that like that's his joy? Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, not based on verse 30. Now, going back to the thought about intersections and junctions, right? And traffic police and interacting with people and interacting with God. Sometimes standing in the gap can be complicated. Look at this junction in California. 
Like in Birmingham, I think, is it Spaghetti Junction they call it in Birmingham? It's nothing like this. I mean, this is next level. You know what I mean? This is Los Angeles, California. And how many of you know, when it comes to standing in the gap, it's one thing standing at an intersection where there's traffic to the right, traffic to the left. It's another thing when you've got traffic to the right, the left, and in front and behind. That becomes even more complicated. But that's only, that's only two roads intersecting. What happens when you get... It's like... Just in our little church, there are quite a number of us. Do you know what I'm saying? And... One person alone can be complicated. A lie? And I'm speaking about myself, right? I ain't speaking about, I ain't, pointing, I ain't looking at nobody else, right? One person can be complicated, let alone a whole host of people that you have to interact with. How many of you know the complexities? They begin to, um, what's the word? They, they rise exponentially. And, um, Loads of issues, loads of complications. So, do you think one intercessor is going to be enough? I mean, it sounds like one can do a good job, a big job, a great job. We see that with Abraham, even in the text. But kind of thinking about it from our point of view, very practically speaking, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm like, we need, a, we need a whole heap of intercessors if we're going to have to tackle multiple problems at multiple times, look at the, look, you see them lanes? They're not even crossing, you know what I'm saying, on one level. They're, 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 you've, got, you've got lanes running above and underneath and around. And I'm trying to say, like, when it comes to this issue of intercession or praying, especially for others and for ourselves, we need a multiplicity. Listen to the it's like I'm, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna put that as a screensaver on my on my phone or my laptop or, or on the wall or something to remind me of the importance of the and the complexity of intercession. Listen to the plural reference regarding the need and the scope when it comes to intercession. Now you know this verse. Second Chronicles seven says, "Notice if my people who are called by my name humble, right." themselves. Now, can you see that that's not singular, that's plural? You know what I'm saying? And if they pray and, and, and if they pray and if they pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will do something. I will hear from heaven, says the Lord, and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, what I see in that is, I mean, there's a lot in there. Um, we might even look at this more specifically another time. But I see not one person, but a group of people, a number of individuals. And I'm saying responding to not one person, apart from obviously to the Lord, but the, res the, the result of that intercession, and I'm saying, is multiplied greatly. I'm saying, and, and, and the thing is, has, has God still got a people? I'm saying, I'm sure he does. I'm saying, and might not be as on it as Abraham, might be like, might be like Lot, but still God's people. And, and the encouragement here is to cry out to God on the basis of personal repentance, you know what I'm saying, 
And God's saying that he would hear and respond by bringing forgiveness to those that pray and healing to the land. That's, for, that's not for one, but that's for many. Same. Abraham, Abraham's prayers were intercessory. Can you see that? Number two, Abraham prays with specificity. You have to, be, have to put your teeth in for that one. How many of you know Abraham started with a literal number? 50, right? How can you and me pray more specifically? You know what I mean? Hopefully this is already beginning to inspire you. I'm like, it's like we've been, what, three, three weeks talking about prayer or so. And, um, and it feels like, you know one of them cars that they used to, in the old days, they used to have to crank the, the engine to start the engine. And I mean, now I say that in one sense. I say that based on, um, I don't necessarily, um, I, I have no, um, there's no um, litmus test that I've done to say, wow, people, people aren't praying or people are praying. I'd like to think that we're praying, you know what I'm saying? But I look at my own life, and even though we've been doing this for three weeks, I'm still not in a place where I can genuinely say, Lord, I feel like I'm really, really, really responding to this 100%. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I, don't, I suppose I'd like to ask you rhetorically, you know what I'm saying? Do you feel like your prayer, your prayer life over the past few weeks has improved? You know what I'm saying? Or, you know what, it ain't really mattered. It's like I've been hearing and talking about prayer and that. And, but if I'm honest... My prayer life ain't really changed. It ain't really encouraged me to spend more time with the Lord or spend the extra five minutes in my quiet time or I don't know. And um, personally, I feel like there's, there's nothing else I can, I can even begin to think or talk about, you know what I'm saying, as passionately as I can right now about prayer because I think it's a desperate need for us as a church you know what I'm saying? And I think it's a desperate need for me personally. Now, again, only you can, you know what I'm saying? Only you know where your heart is or where your mind is or, you know what I'm saying? How you feel about that. Um, but this is helping me. And I'm like, how can I pray? How can you pray? How can we pray more specifically? I'm saying we can say, Lord, would you please save people in Lewisham this year? You know what I mean? Now, that's a specific prayer because Lewisham is a specific place. You can even go further and say, Lord, would you save 20 people in Lewisham? You know what I'm saying? Before the end of the year. That's, a specific, that's, that's, that's even a more specific prayer, right? Putting a number on it now, you might say, well, I mean, you know what I'm saying? There might be a whole heap of different responses to that, like, 20 people before Christmas. That might be your response. It might be 20. Is that all you're praying for? But what I'm talking about is the specificity of it. We can be praying, Lord, help us with our discipleship this year as we're trying to put plans together to, to bring about a more consistent methodology when it comes to discipleship. If somebody does get saved, <laughs> uh, you know, if 20 people do get saved, then what do we do with them when they come in? What's the program to see them discipled? 
there's something specific to pray about. We've got deacons and we've got the council, you know what I'm saying, who are going to be taking greater responsibility. What a blessing, you know what I'm saying, for operations and administration and different ministries and teams. And it's like, that's something specific. Now, I could ask, have you been praying about these things? You know what I'm saying? You can say, definitely have been. Or you might say, oh, I don't really know that much about it. Or, man, I know about it. I've been hearing about this for a while. Hundredfold? Maybe 60? Maybe 30? Youth violence. You know, we, got, we run a, an independent school here. Um, approximately fluctuating between, around about the 15 pupil mark. Sometimes it goes up a bit above that. Sometimes it goes a little bit below that. But very vulnerable young people. Right, right where you're sitting, Monday to Friday. You know what I mean? Um, this is something that you could be praying about. These are kids who come from single parent homes. And some of us know what that feels like personally. You know what I'm saying? Some of them are coming from um, DV type backgrounds where there's domestic violence. You know what I'm saying? These are kids who are dealing with drugs, you know I'm saying, in their environments, but with themselves personally and, and alcohol. You know I mean? These are things that we can pray about specifically. You know what I'm saying? Um, our sister Faye, who I mentioned, is, is working for LCM. Now, she's going to be the family support worker, working with the parents and the young people. You know what I'm saying? Trying to connect with them and trying to help and support them and eventually trying to help them spiritually. These are things that we can pray about specifically. We got, we got like Rich mentioned the fact that, you know what I'm saying, we're starting a new Bible study. That's something to pray. We got a prayer meeting. You know what I'm saying? It'd be, you know, it'd be great to see you come to the prayer meeting to pray. Um, but if you can't come, you can pray. You can pray, f you know what I'm saying, at home. Like, we don't live in a vacuum. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure you're aware of at least one or two issues that you can be praying about, that you can be standing at that intersection, praying about, bringing about change, real change. You know what I'm saying? Um, praying about, like, we got, we, like, barley loaves. We have um, sometimes very vulnerable people very vulnerable people coming through again it's one thing to feed them physically it's another thing then to sp feed them spiritually which is where we want to get to how are we going to do that how we how and i mean these are some sp specific things we can pray about and you know <clears throat> brexit i mean what a drama. You know what I mean? It just, just, you just hear the word and it just, and it just gives you a headache. You know what I mean? Um, and then the potential of a possible general election coming up. You know what I'm saying? Whether you're Labour or you're Conservative or you're Lib Dem. You know what I'm saying? Or, I don't know, five minutes you're one thing and the next minute you're another. You know and I'm saying? Or you're Brexit. It's like Brexit party. It's like... I would, I, would, I would never advocate that, if, like, let's say you got your party, I just named it. I would never advocate that you pray that your party would win. Per, you, can, you can grab me afterwards, you know what I'm saying, if you want to debate that theologically, you know what I'm saying. But I wouldn't, 
I'm, I wouldn't pray that my favored party would win. I don't think that's a healthy prayer personally. And I'm saying, but there are certain things that we can pray. Like peace between these opposing factions regardless of the outcome. And I'm saying we can pray for ourselves that we as Christians would be peacemakers. It's so, I find it so easy because everyone's got their proclivity and their perspective. and very polarized at times. It's very easy to, 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 like, to go in. You know what I'm saying? On the, like you have a relationship with someone until you find out that, 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 that they support the party that you're completely opposed to. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and all of a sudden the relationship changes. But we are, we are the ones who are supposed to be peacemakers. So when we see the madness going on and, 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 and the polarization, we're supposed to be able to step in and say, okay, I, I hear you and, and I hear you, but come on now. You know what I'm saying? Like we've got to get back to work in five minutes together. You know what I'm saying? It's like, these are things that we can be praying. Let's be peacemakers in the midst of the pandem pandemonium. How about the queen? Having been dragged into all this mess, if you've been watching politics at all. Can you imagine if the queen, yeah, called for a day, a national day of prayer? I mean, that's, that would be a part of her role. You know what I'm saying? I mean, is she or is it Prince, Prince Philip, is the, Prince, Prince Charles is the head of the Church of England? It's like, that would be a part of her role then, right? And... Is, you see, and, and the thing is, it's happened in a not too distant past. I'm saying, is there a lesson that we can learn, historically speaking, if we just go back 80 years? Um, the time and place is Dunkirk, May 1940, World War II. How many of you know King George VI declared a national day of prayer in view of the war. And this is a poster that was commissioned by the British government. National Day of Prayer in response to the king. Put your trust in God as I do, as we do. This is the king who's... They put up a poster. The British, gov the British government, you know. Now, I'm just going to read this because I, I, I can't. I can't, con I can't contain it in terms of memory. I'm getting older than that. Um, many may not realize that King George VI called for a national day of prayer as the situation developed, which preceded some extraordinary events that led to the deliverance of allied troops, followed by a national day of thanksgiving in recognition that the prayers of the nation had been answered. When British troops were stranded at Dunkirk, about to be annihilated. Watch this. It's silent, right? People queued to get into Westminster Abbey. They queued to get into Westminster Abbey so that they could fall on their knees and pray. Together with members of the cabinet... The king attended Westminster Abbey with millions, notice, in all parts of the Commonwealth, home and abroad, flocked to the churches to join in prayer. Britain was given inspiring leadership in those days, and her people responded immediately. The whole nation was at prayer on that Sunday. The scene outside Westminster Abbey was remarkable, as you can see. 
Millions upon millions went to their local churches and capitals and chapels throughout the UK, which were so full that congregations had to stand in churchyards or pour out into the street. And the king made a broadcast to the nation, urging people to repent and turn to the Lord. The prayer request in conjunction with that was that maybe, perhaps, Lord, 20 to 30,000 of the servicemen might be saved, might be rescued from, from literal death. And so what seemed like an unimaginable miracle took place. And it, notice, it wasn't one, it was three miracles. The first miracle was that for some reason, which, was, which, which has never been fully explained, Hitler overruled his generals and halted the advance of his armored columns at the very point when they could have proceeded to the British army's annihilation. Later, Mr. Churchill, Mr. Churchill asserted in his memoirs that this was because Hitler undoubtedly believed that his air superiority would be sufficient to prevent any evacuation. Second miracle, a severe weather storm of unprecedented fury broke out over Flanders, grounding the German air squadrons, making them unable to operate in such turbulent conditions. The Führer, Hitler, had obviously not taken the weather into his reckoning, nor the one who controls the weather. That's the second. The third miracle, despite the storm in Flanders, a great calm, such as has, has rarely been experienced, settled over the English Channel during the days which followed, and its waters became unusually silently still. It was this quite extraordinary calm which enabled a vast armada of little ships, big ships, warships, war in fact, almost anything that would float to go back and forth in a desperate bid to rescue as many soldiers as possible. Additionally, Many of the troops on the beaches, this is amazing, listen to this, this is apart from the three miracles. Many of the troops on the beaches were favored with strange immun immunity. When about 400 were being machine gunned and bombed, they were amazed to find that there was not a single casualty. Another man, a chaplain, where's Rich? Hold on, big up yourself. You know Rich is a chaplain. Another man, a chaplain, was likewise machine gunned and bombed as he lay on the beach. After what seemed like an eternity, he realized he had not been hit. He rose to his feet to find that the sand all around where he had been lying was pitted with bullet holes and his figure was outlined on the ground. <laughs> Truly amazing things were happening. There were signs on every hand that an intervening power was at work. Officers and men alike had seen the hand of God, powerful to save, delivering from the hands of a mighty foe who, humanly speaking, had them at his mercy. And they were not slow to say so. Even Fleet Street has placed it on record that two miracles had made possible what had seemed impossible. So grateful was the nation for this mighty deliverance that Sunday the 9th of June 1940 was appointed as a day of national thanksgiving. On the eve of that day, C.B. Mortlock 
stated in an article in the Daily Telegraph that, quote, the prayers of the nation were answered. And that, quote, the God of hosts himself had supported the valiant men of the British Army. In the end, 336,000 soldiers were rescued, 10 times the amount originally petitioned for. Psalm, 20, Psalm 124 was then sung on the day of Thanksgiving throughout the churches of Britain. I wonder what would happen if our British sovereign, Queen Elizabeth II, in her Queen's speech coming up on the 14th of October next month, I wonder what would happen if she called for a national day of prayer to try to unlock the Brexit deadlock. Imagine. But whether she prays or not, guess what? All right then, we can pray. Second Timothy, sorry, excuse me. First Timothy chapter two. Does this sound like a, a gentle reminder? Looking at the first words of that first verse. No, it sounds quite like, like a strong admonition, doesn't it? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for who? All people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You know, this is something that this country enjoyed for, for decades, for centuries, but it does feel like it's coming to an end. that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Do you want to please God? Do you want to please your Savior? How do we do that? By praying, by petitioning, by standing in the breach in the gap. Because God, verse 4, wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it's like people coming, to, people coming to salvation and being saved seems to be strongly, not entirely, but strongly predicated on prayer. So number two, Abraham prayed with specificity. Number three, and I think this, I think this Tuesday, maybe we'll have a bit more focus on um, I'm praying for our nation, you know what I'm saying? Um, number three, how else did Abraham pray? He prayed with great empathy. He prayed with great empathy as well as specificity. And <clears throat> notice Abraham could have just asked God to, de to deliver Lot and his family, but he didn't. He prayed for the city. And we might find it remarkable that Abraham even cared for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He might have just prayed, Lord, get my, get my nephew out of there. But he didn't. Abraham's heart was full of sorrow and compassion, even for the wicked of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the kind of heart God wanted to draw out of Abraham, a heart that cared so much for people who are made in the image of God that he worked hard to intercede on behalf of a city that deserved judgment. Notice Abraham prayed. Notice Abraham never gossiped, you know. Abraham never said, Sarah, Sarah, you heard, about, you, heard, you heard about what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Can you believe it? Can you believe these people, what they're doing? 
No, he didn't gossip with his, with his wife about it. And just talk about the issue. You know what I'm saying? He's, he, 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 rather than waste that time and expended energy in the wrong direction. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and notice he wasn't passive. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't there sitting watching Sky News, hearing about what's going to happen to, mm -mm, look what's going to happen to Sodom, like earthquakes coming or hurricanes coming. Look what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -mm. And then just flick the channel. I'm saying he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't gossip about it and like useless talk about it and, and, and he didn't ignore it. You know what I'm saying? He prayed. This was the heart of a, of a great leader, you know what I'm saying, of a great nation, a mighty nation. You know what I mean? He was going to be. And the question is, do, do you empathize with non-Christians? Or, or, or just complain about how off-key they are? You know what I mean? Or how just you're fed up with them and, you know what I'm saying, you wish you never even had to see them or spend no time with them. They just... How do, how do you feel about, about non-Christians? And you know what's deep? It's like, how do you feel about people that, you know what I'm saying, you work with, that you don't know, or your neighbors? It's cool. You go in your house and you shut your front door, in it? Cool. Well, what happens when those very unbelievers, those non-Christians, are your family? Then what do you do? How do you treat them? How do you feel about people that don't necessarily see things the way you see things? Are you, are, you, are you judgmental and critical or are you empathetic? It's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Especially looking at the example of Abraham. Say, remember Joseph when he was wronged by his brothers? Remember he embraced them and he forgave them. It wasn't easy. 17 years of darkness at their hands, you know. Like, there was nobody, if you like, naturally speaking, that was, they sold him out horribly. Their brother, I mean, there's a whole heap of built-up bitterness right there, potentially. You know, I know brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters that don't talk to each other. That shouldn't be named among the beloved. You know what I mean? And then if you want to even go a little bit deeper... Because, you know, they say blood is thicker than water. Um, but it's not, when you're spiritually speaking, water is actually thicker than blood. Unless you're talking about the blood of Jesus. And if, unless the water you're talking about is the water of the Spirit, if you're, if you're tracking with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, your Christian, your Christian family, in one sense, is actually closer to you than your biological family. You know what I mean? How do you get on with your Christian family? Are you empathetic? The, the, the issues arise and, you know what I'm saying, you just love them anyway. And you take that away, that drama, that issue, you take away that bitterness or that anger. And do you pray about it? Do you take that before the Lord and say, boy, Lord, you know what? This thing really hurt me, you know. That person really done me dirty or, but Lord, help me. You know what I'm saying? And you go in one way. You might even go in angry. With, you know what I'm saying? But then, you know what I'm saying? If you meet with the Lord, genu gen like genuinely speaking, you ain't coming out the same way. And, it, you, might, and, and you, might come out eight, you might come out still 80% raging, but it's 80, it's not 100%. And then you go back again and you come out and it's 60% now. 
And then you keep going back if you have to. Stephen, remember when Stephen was being stoned? He said, Father, lay this sin not to their charge. That's the example. I want to I follow that example. I know I'm not there. You know what I mean? Because I want to fight and I want to complain. I want to, you know what I'm saying? I want to protest. You know what I'm saying? I want to be justified. You know what I mean? It's like, remember Jesus from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. That's the kind of example I want to That's the example we want to follow. So Abraham prayed with great empathy. Wow, we're going to finish before one o'clock. Can you believe that? Church finished before one o'clock. Wow. Number four, Abraham prayed. <laughs> Somebody said, okay, well, we'll see in it. Pastor, we'll see. Number four, Abraham also prayed with, this is, I like this one and it's not long. Abraham prayed with uncomfortable, persistent tenacity. I, I like that one. I came up, I say I came up with that one. I, I, I like this one. I like this point. Notice he asked, right? He asked again, and then he kept on asking. He asks, and he keeps on asking, and he keeps on asking, and he keeps on asking. Notice till it got uncomfortable. I don't know if you heard it when we read it. Even for him, you know what I'm saying? Verse 31, he said, Behold, Lord, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like he's... Is, is, is like, am I, am I really here doing this? You know what I'm saying? You know, like when you can talk to yourself. And verse 32, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I'll speak again, but like this, again, but this once. Can you, can you hear how uncomfortable it is? You know what I'm saying? Five times he comes back with the same petition. Question is, how persistent are you in prayer? How persistent are you? Or do you give up early? Do you give up too easy? I mean, I asked the question, did you even start? Do we even start? Thank you, bro. But if we do start, you know, I heard someone say this, and I need to think about it a little bit more, but let me just say it, and then you can think about it. Would you rather pray big, periodical, prayers or would you rather pray little prayers regularly big 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 you know what i'm saying flowery prayers periodically or little prayers regularly and i'm saying and i think that takes a bit of the pressure off when we're asking a question um do you just ask and then you that's enough you, you're gone or do you keep on asking? Do you, you keep persisting? Because you don't have to do the whole like, two hours of prayer, even though that's, of course you can. But sometimes we look at that and we feel like, I can't do that. And then you walk away not doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Just pray little prayers. But do them regularly. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny because you actually get into a habit of talking to God in this fashion to the point where like riding a bike, it just becomes, hoy. I was talking to Pastor E, and you know Pastor E's been swimming, isn't it? And I was chatting to him about his swimming, because you know how it, how it go. Like, you hear a black man talk about swimming, you're like, swimming? <laughs> you know, they say white men can't jump, but the black men can't swim. Well, when it comes to Pastor E, that's not true. Well, it ain't true now. 
He was saying, oh, my front crawl was atrocious, Rob. It was so poor. And I'm like, bro, I can, I can, I can breaststroke nicely. But when it comes to front crawl, I just can't get me and him at talk. I can't get the breathing right, bro. And we're just having this conversation. But he's got it now. And I'm saying, because he's been doing it every day. He's been swimming. And I'm saying, and it's like, if you start praying just a little bit here and a little bit there, before you know it, you're going to get into a rhythm. And I'm saying, and it won't be, well, I need to pray. And in your mind, what that means is, well, I have to be, it has to be like when it's dusk. You know what I'm saying? And uh, five o'clock in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the holy hour. And I've got to be on my knees. Now, now it's good to get on your knees. And it's good to pray at five in the morning. You know what I'm saying? But don't feel like, well, if I'm not doing that. You know what I'm saying? If I'm not praying in that fashion, then I'm not truly. Come on. How you, the Bible says pray without ceasing. How are you going to pray with, like that? You ain't going to go nowhere. That's how people end up in a, mos, monas, in a monastery. It's just unrealistic, isn't it? But we can do the little, you know what I'm saying? A little bit here, a little bit there. And, and, and that's how it's supposed to, like, when you're, like, you know what I'm saying, when you're with your wife, you know what I'm saying, Ali? You know what I'm saying? You have a little chit-chat now, you're like, a little bit of pillow talk, get up out of bed, use the shower, you come back, you have a little five-minute talk again, and you know what I'm saying, you get ready, you go to work. On the bus, you text your wife. You say, hey, honey, hope you get to work all right. Hope you have a good day. You know what I'm saying? And then, boom, you get to work, and, oh, she, you get a text, and it's from her. You know what I'm saying? And there's a little back and forth. And you talk to your wife, hopefully, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, a number of times a day. Now, there are those times you need to sit down and have the big, long talk, but that's, really, that's the reality of relationship, isn't it? I'm like, let's not over-spiritualize our relationship. It's hot in here. Is it in me, or is it hot in here? <laughs> Did I just roll up my, I just rolled up my sleeves and it's hot in here. Wow, okay, all right. So, even, even when it gets difficult and it gets tricky and it's uncomfortable, we've got to press through, you know what I'm saying, the uncomfortable element. Like, the Lord's not going to be like, what, you back again? <laughs> I ain't got time, innit? So, um... British culture says, if you want something, notice, if you want something, don't ask. That's British culture. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you have to ask, even though you want it and you need it, you know, like, don't ask. But if you have to ask, then you ask once. You know what I'm saying? Never keep, never ever keep asking. It's like, don't embarrass yourself. You know what I'm saying? And, and, for, don't, don't put anybody under pressure. It's just not the done thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, Abraham ain't English. You know what I'm saying? And we'll talk more about bold tenacity in prayer, maybe in a few weeks' time, when we do persistence, right? Peace for prayer. So that was number four. Abraham prayed with an uncomfortable, persistent tenacity. We need that. Number five, our last one, seven minutes. Abraham prayed with bold humility. Oh, what am I doing? Sorry, my bad. Oh, no, I'm giving, giving the game away. Um, Abraham prayed with bold humility. You know, I don't like no one seeing my notes before I preach. Because I, I don't want to give the game away. It's that thing, in it? When I'm watching a film, I need to watch it from the beginning. I don't want interruptions. I want to be able to focus. That's what I'm saying. I think I've got issues like that. 
Um, and, um, but it's funny, I don't hold it against you when you fall asleep when I'm preaching. Just, just know that. It's all right, I don't hold it against you. So Abraham prayed with this bold humility. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, as he comes to the Lord, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Again, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about what that fully means. You know what I'm saying? But, but fundamentally, Abraham was aware of his own personal sinfulness. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and, it, and it's funny, knowing that, it was quite brave of him to challenge God's hand in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Abraham's very forward. But notice, he was invited to the intersection. There's a problem in this intersection. You know what I'm saying? Says the Lord, if you like. I'm like, if no one don't stop me, Sodom, I fin it's like, you know when, you're, in, you know when you, you're ready to go do something to somebody and you say, hold me back. Like, hold me back. <laughs> it's like the Lord says to Abraham, Abraham, just hold me back. And, and, and I'm saying, God invited Abraham into the intersection. Why would he not, you know what I'm saying, pray with, 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 with a boldness, although a humility? He was invited to the intersection. He was invited to interact. He was invited to intervene. Abraham was invited to intercede. See, how are you not then going to respond? It would have been rude not to. Remember Ezekiel 22, we just read it. And I'm saying verse, oh, stress. Ezekiel 22, we just read it. The Lord says in verse 30, I sought for a man. Remember, I sought for a man. See, we like Abraham are invited into that intersection. We like Abraham are invited to interact, you know what I'm saying, with one another, but also with God. You know, that's the job of the priest. The priest hears, you know the difference between a prophet and a priest. The prophet hears what God says and says, Raw, okay, God. And he goes and he tells the people what God has to say. The priest is the opposite. The priest listens to the heartbeat of the people. And he says, really? Cool. All right, let me take that to the Lord. And he goes to the Lord with the, with the cry of the people. That's the job of the priest. And, and guess who isn't a priest? <laughs> I couldn't think of another way to ask it. Um, so as Christians, is there a special... Um, collective within Christendom, you know what I'm saying, who particularly and specifically, you know what I'm saying, are anointed by God, you know what I'm saying, to intercede? Or are priests? Is it just pastors are priests? Oh, no. We have the priesthood of all believers. That means every single one of us is a priest. And God ain't going to hear me more than he's going to hear you, even though you get that impression sometimes in the ministry. You know what I'm saying? It's like we all have not only the right, but we have the responsibility, you know what I'm saying, to be priests. And you see, the Lord, the Lord is seeking for individuals that would be like that. Because he, he, the Lord don't want to bring fire and brimstone, but he will. He said, I sought for a man or a woman. See, on that basis, we can have a bold humility. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. Here's the verse that you were looking at. Oh, no, it ain't. Oh, there's the Ezekiel 22 when I was looking for it. 
See, I sought for a man, see? We've we got to bring in. Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with fear draw near to the throne of grace. It rhymes, but it's not true, right? Let us then with what? Confidence. Draw, like, and draw near, it's, the, it's literally the same phrase that's used in Genesis 22 of Abraham as he approached the Lord. Let us, now this is not speaking about him, he's dead and gone. This is, uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I wanted to say more about that but. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. A part of the reason you and I can stand in the gap, a part of the reason we can stand in that privileged position is because we are but dust and ashes. But we're a special kind of dust and ashes. Animals can't intercede. Trees can't intercede. You know what I'm saying? But we're created in the image of God and given that privilege. You know what I'm saying? Because we've been redeemed by Jesus. So then we're well placed to intercede for other sinners who need to be redeemed by Jesus. We're finished. Abraham's prayers were intercessory. He prayed with specificity. He prayed with great empathy. Abraham prayed with an uncomfortable, persistent tenacity. Abraham prayed with bold humility. A minute for no peace for prayer. I'm going to invite the, 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 the team to come and join me as I pray. And then together we'll stand and sing our last song. Amen. All right, so they're moving around. I try not to be distracted by them. I know it's not easy, but um, let's, let's pray. Um, Father, would you, uh, Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for um, the privilege that we have. Um, to be in relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for overlooking, for being distracted. Forgive us, Lord, for being um, ignorant. Lord, forgive us for not being interested. Forgive us for being passive, Lord. When you've given us such a rich invitation to draw near to you. Lord, I pray that as we've been talking about prayer... Lord, that you've been stirring our hearts and moving us and helping us, transforming us even, Lord. And, and, and today and even in the, the coming weeks, as we continue to talk about prayer, Lord, because it's something that we need to get better established in. And not just the act of praying, not just the act of talking, but genuinely drawing near to you. And knowing that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And Father, for our benefit, for our benefit, we benefit so richly. Because Lord, every time we come before you, like Moses, Lord, every time we come before you, a little bit of you rubs off on us. A little bit of your light consumes our darkness. We come away sometimes, Lord, just glowing a little bit. Sometimes it's microscopic. Sometimes it can't even be seen. But Lord, that's the privilege that we have every time we spend time with you. So these are the byproducts. But at the same time, I want to say this is the fundamental reason 
that we, we pray just so we can relate to you. I don't talk to my wife because I have to. I talk to my wife because I want to. And Lord, help us to want to talk to you. Apart from, Lord, the incredible privileges and the side benefits, like answers to our prayers. Wow. I'd like to see people getting saved and healed and helped and changed. And Lord, that, that there are too many. So but, but what is it that holds us back? What is it that prevents us? Well, Lord, it's the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things that suck the life out of us. And by the time we're done, we're done. All we want to do is go to sleep. And then we wake up in the morning and back on the treadmill again. Lord, break that cycle in our lives. Um, and help us, I pray, to pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.